This is the big question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church, and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Caleb, Susanna, Emmeline, Sam, and Joanna. First we'll tackle a few serious questions, and then we'll look at this episode's big question. And as always, at the end, we'll wrap things up with a few fun questions. Let's get started. Today, we have two serious questions, one from Caleb and one from Susanna. Caleb's question takes us all the way back to the very first of Zechariah's night visions. Caleb asks, what is a myrtle? What is a myrtle? So, because you can't see the word in front of you, let me spell it for you. Myrtle is M-Y-R-T-L-E, and a myrtle is a kind of tree. Or technically, it's a large shrub, but it would look like a tree to you and me. In the Bible, when myrtles are referred to, myrtle trees, oftentimes they're a symbol of life. Now, a myrtle would grow to be about the height of a mounted horseman, and that's pretty significant for Zechariah's first vision, because in that first vision, there is, of course, a mounted horseman, and he's in the midst of two myrtles. Now, this horseman turns out to be the angel of the Lord, and he is a Christophany. He's an appearance or or a revelation of Jesus prior to his incarnation. And on either side of him, he has a myrtle tree. Now, those two trees obviously get us thinking. You know, what, what is the significance of those trees? And of course, we think back to the trees in the Garden of Eden, which is good. Because throughout the night visions, whenever we see two things on either side of something, uh, whether it's two myrtle trees or two olive trees, what they seem to represent is presence. It's, it's what's between the two things that matters. The presence of God is pictured between the two myrtles, between the two olive trees, and between the two mountains in the final vision. So a myrtle is a kind of tree or large shrub, but it has symbolic value in the visions of Zechariah. And now Susanna has a question about the Bible. She wants to know, why do we call the Bible the Bible in the first place? Interesting question. Now, originally, people didn't call the Bible the Bible. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, you find that the Word of God is referred to usually with a a different term. In Greek, it's the word graphe, and that means writings or scriptures. The word Bible wasn't used to describe the Bible until approximately two centuries later. The Bible comes from a different Greek word, biblia, which means book. And that's the same in Greek and Latin. Biblia means book. And even in English, we sometimes use that word. Uh, For example, a person who loves books the way that I do is called a bibliophile, a lover of books. Now, in the early church, people started referring to God's Word, the Scriptures, as the books, because the Bible is a collection of 66 books. So they would call it Tabiblia, or the books. And eventually, 
started referring to it as the book, like the book of books, the book containing all of the books that God has inspired. Now, whatever term you use, whether you call it the Bible, uh, the Word, the Scriptures, all of those terms refer to the same thing, the Holy Spirit's inspired writing, which is how God speaks to us today. But Bible means book, and that's why we call the Bible the Bible. Now it's time for the big question. This week's big question comes from Emmeline, and it's really going to get you thinking. Here's the question. Is God really a he? Is God really a he? Well, Emmeline, the short answer is yes, but it's complicated. So let's dig into this question a little bit. Now, usually in English, we use the pronouns he and she to distinguish between a boy and a girl. Uh, He for boy, she for girl. And we have another pronoun, it, that we use for inanimate objects. But if the question you're asking is, is God a boy or a girl? Well, the answer to that question would be neither. And yet, in a mysterious way, the answer could also be both. Here's what I'm talking about. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, we learn that human beings are made in the image of God. And it's interesting if you look at Genesis 1.27, the way that this is stated. The Bible says that man was made in the image of God. Male and female were created in the image of God. So, The idea is that the Bible is using the word man in the kind of classic generic sense to mean mankind, both men and women, both male and female. So it's not that men are made in God's image and women are not. Both male and female are made in God's image, are reflections of God's image. Now, having said that, God himself is neither male or female. In the human sense, because when we talk male and female, of course, we're talking about physical bodies. And God is uncreated. He's incorporeal. He's not human, in other words. And so the way that we distinguish between male and female human beings isn't relevant when we talk about God. Okay, so so far, so good. God's not a boy. God's not a girl. God is God. And that's something different, something different from human. So far, so good. Now it gets tricky. So the Bible throughout scripture refers to God. And when it refers to God using a pronoun, it uses the pronoun he. So yes, God is a he, and it's correct for us to follow the example of scripture in referring to God using the pronoun he. But there's a reason why this pronoun is used, and it's not what you might think. So God isn't referred to as a he in order to distinguish between male and female. The reason why God is referred to using a personal pronoun, he, is to distinguish between a person and an object. So it's really not a question of of he versus she. It's a question of he versus it. 
What I mean is God is a person. In fact, in the Godhead, in the Trinity, there are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each one of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are referred to as a he because each of them is a person, not a thing, not a force, not an inanimate object. Even the Holy Spirit, and I know sometimes people in referring to the Holy Spirit will refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, as if the Holy Spirit, like electricity, was just a kind of force that's out there working. But the Bible refers to the Spirit as a person, gives uh, personhood to the Spirit. So the Spirit, as well as the Son, as well as the Father, are properly referred to as persons using the personal pronoun he. Of course, the Father and the Son are referred to as Father and Son, and fathers and sons are both male human categories. But this is language that's used not because the Father is a male human father or the Son is a male human son, but because they have a relationship to one another that resembles the relationship between fathers and sons. All right, we're not done. There's one more layer that we have to add to this, and it has to do with the Son. So the Son, the second person of the Trinity, in human history, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became a human being, one of us, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, when he was born, he became a male human being. Now, he didn't stop being fully God but he started being fully human, and part of being fully human was being in the flesh. And in fact, Jesus is still in the flesh. Jesus is still fully human, seated at the right hand of the Father. So when we talk about God as a he, as a person, and then when we talk about Jesus Christ as a male human being, it's actually important that we insist on the full humanity of Jesus. These are ways that we have of emphasizing the reality of Jesus's humanity and and trying not to take anything at all away from that full humanity in the same way that we don't want to take anything away from his full divinity. So that's why we refer to God as a he. Now for our closing segment, let's answer a couple of fun questions from Sam and Joanna. Now this question from Sam is pretty tough, but I'm going to do my best to find an answer. Sam asks, the Bible is the most important book, but what's the second most important book? Now Sam, that's a really hard question to answer because the thing is, there is no comparison between the Bible and any other book. If I say the Bible is number one and number two is some other book written by human beings, to me that suggests a closeness between the Bible and that other book that really isn't true. The Bible is on a completely different level. No other book, no matter how good it is, is like the Bible because the Bible is God's inspired word. It's God speaking to us, whereas all of our books are us speaking to one another. And that's really something different. So 
instead of saying, like, like, here's a book that's number two in importance to the Bible, let me try to answer the question this way. If there was just one other book besides the Bible that I could convince you to study, what would that be? If you're only going to read one other book, only going to study one other book, what would I want that to be? Now, of course, knowing me, you know, I want you to study and read more than just one other book. But let's say I only had one choice, one option, one book that I could point to and say, you really need to study this and and really think about it and absorb it and, and remember it. Well, that book would have to be the Westminster Confession and Catechisms. The Westminster Confession is part of our church's constitution. We refer to the Westminster Standards as our secondary standard. What we mean by that is the confession obviously is not inspired by God. It is a human document, but it is a human effort to summarize the teaching of God's inspired word in a way that gives us a starting point for understanding all of the complexity of the Bible. So oftentimes in Sunday school or in sermons, we will refer to things in the Westminster Confession or in one of the catechisms. But I really want to urge you to make it one of your missions in life to study the Confession of Faith, study the catechisms, be familiar with what they teach, because number one, that'll really answer a lot of questions for you that people often struggle with about what the Bible teaches about one thing or another. Secondly, understanding the confession of faith will give you a real leg up when it comes to understanding the Bible, so that when you read Scripture, there are things that will jump out at you and connections you will make that will really help you understand what the Bible is speaking about. That's why if I could only uh, convince you to study one book, it would probably have to be the Westminster Confession. Finally, Joanna's question is about the Youth Chronicle. She wants to know who makes the Youth Chronicle. Every week at Grace, on the table in the back of the sanctuary, you will find the Youth Chronicle that's full of questions about our service and about our sermon. The reason the Youth Chronicle is there is so that young disciples like you at Grace can engage with the service and learn more about what's happening in worship. So the question is, who makes the Youth Chronicle? It's not me. The person who makes the Youth Chronicle is Ann Smith. Ann Smith makes the Youth Chronicle every week, and she also makes the word search every week that you can grab along with your Youth Chronicle. If you don't know who Ann is, she's the lady who gives out the rewards at the end of the service when you turn in your Youth Chronicle. So the next time you complete a Youth Chronicle and you hand it in to Anne, you should say thank you to her for all of the good work that she does in putting together the Youth Chronicle, the Word Search, and all of the other things that she does to help the young people at Grace to thrive as disciples. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Until next time, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will always stand up to scrutiny. So until next time, keep asking the big questions.